I'm going to be reading from John 14 tonight. It's going to be a little bit of a longer reading. I'm going to read from verse 1 to verse 21 of the Gospel of John chapter 14. This is God's own word for us, his people. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Well, as Pastor Greg mentioned earlier, we're moving from a sermon last week on the existence of God to this week looking in particular at the Trinity. And just to be clear, I am not going to say everything that could be said about the Trinity tonight. We believers will have an eternity with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to know, love, and understand the Trinity, and we're going to need every single minute of eternity to figure out that mystery. So we aren't going to cover everything. For tonight, I'm going to talk, I'm going to focus on two questions. First, I'm going to ask, how are we able to talk about the Trinity? And second, I'll talk about some ways that believing in the Trinity matters. So first, how are we able to talk about the Trinity? Second, what difference does the Trinity make in the life of faith? So first, let's talk a bit about how we're able to talk about the Trinity. How can we make sense of this teaching of Scripture that God is one and three? 
let me start by talking a bit about concepts. How are we able to talk about the Trinity? We're able to talk about the Trinity using some philosophical, some theological language. The church has developed some concepts that help us talk about the Trinity. Now, for most of us here tonight, that's sort of a blah answer, like, obviously, what's your point? But for a lot of Christians at different points in the world, this has been a very important point. For example, when we were in Nigeria, a lot of the people we worked with who were fresh Christian converts lived in areas where there were a lot of Muslims around. And the Muslims would come to them and say, oh, so you've become a Christian. Are you an idiot? How are you going to explain the Trinity to me? And many of these new converts, they hardly read the Bible at all. They knew Jesus saved them, but they just didn't have any tools to be able to talk about the oneness and the threeness of God and be able to make any sense of it at all. Now, we as Christians can't explain everything about the Trinity in ways that totally make sense to us. God is in some ways a mystery beyond our solving, but we do have ways that we can speak clearly, sensibly, and in a way that just is logical about our one God in three persons. In the early church, if you study early church history, you see Christians struggling with this for hundreds of years. They were confronted with the reality of one God in the scriptures and also with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as God. And over hundreds of years, people hammered out different words. They said, hey, what about this? What about that? Can we say it this way? What are the problems with thinking through the Trinity this way? And the church ended up with this fairly precise language. The Trinity, our God, is one essence with three persons. We affirm that there is one God and only one God, but we also affirm that the three members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are all truly, entirely God, and they've all existed from eternity. One essence, three persons. And a lot of what that formula does for us is it gives us some markers. It gives us some boundary lines for us to think about the Trinity. In a sense, that basic formula, one essence, three persons, is like the out-of-bounds marker at a football game or a basketball game, soccer, pick your favorite sport. And in all of those sports, if you stay inside the lines, you can do a lot of different things. There are all kinds of plays you can run, many, many things you can do, but once you step out of bounds, you aren't in play anymore. You can't go out of bounds and still be playing that game. And what that basic concept of the Trinity does for us as Christians is it says we can talk about God in all kinds of ways. We can focus on how God is perfect in his unity, or we can focus on the relationships among the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's different things we can do, but we have to play inside these markers. I'm not going to get much more into the concepts and the language there, but I wanted us to have these two points that there is language that gives us some idea of how we can talk about the Trinity and also that we as Christians can give an account of the Trinity that's clear, that makes sense, that can stand up to anything else out there religiously, philosophically, whatever wants to come after the Christian faith, we have answers. Practically speaking, though, more than concepts, what most people find helpful when we talk about the Trinity is analogies. It's another thing we have to help us think through how we can think of the Trinity. 
So we pick something from creation and we say, this gives us an illustration, an example, a window into what the Trinity might be like. And I'm going to go through a a bunch here pretty quickly. You don't need to catch the details. Some people say the Trinity is like a triangle, three different sides, one shape. Some people say the Trinity is like an egg. It truly is one thing, but inside that one thing, there's the shell, the white, and the yolk. Some people say the Trinity is like water. Water is always one thing, but it can come in the shape of ice or liquid or steam. More recently, some people want to insist the Trinity is kind of like a family, all one, but there can be three different members who are part of one family and share a relationship in that way. So a triangle, an egg, water, a family, and the list of examples could go on and on. And all of those are pictures that help us understand God, but we can't lean too heavily on any one of them. All of those analogies are right in one way. They tell us something about God, but they're flat out wrong in some other ways. Every single analogy we come up with gives us a window, but it's a little bit of a cloudy window. If you talk about the Trinity as an egg, really an egg is just one thing with three different parts. It's not really one in three. If you talk about a family, really a family is three separate people who have some kind of relationship. It's not really one essence, three persons. If you talk about a triangle, it's just one shape with three parts. All of the creaturely, all of the worldly analogies that we have for the Trinity can't quite measure up to the reality of God. So in some respects, we aren't able to to come up with things, with words, with concepts that totally express and make sense of the Trinity. So then we have to ask ourselves, and this is an important question, really, how are we able to talk about God? Really, if it comes down to it, how are we able to talk about the Trinity? Can our human minds figure that out Could we sit down one day or one decade and say, hey, you know, I think it'd be cool if God was one in three. Let's work that out philosophically and let's run with that. Is that how the Christian faith works? And I would guess, you know, the answer is no. If we're really going to be able to talk about the Trinity, we need to make sure that we're resting on God's revelation to us. We can only make sense of the Trinity. We only believe in the Trinity because that's what the Bible teaches us. God himself gives us a lot of the words, a lot of the ideas that we need to talk about him. So when we talk about the Trinity, we depend on some different analogies to give us pictures of what's going on. We lean heavily on what the church has worked out through the ages, and that is really, really important to stay within those boundaries But ultimately, the reason that we talk about the Trinity is because that's how God has revealed himself. We believe that God is one essence in three persons because the Bible tells us so. In the Old Testament, we see some different hints that God, of course, clearly is one, but also that God is somehow one and more than one. And in the New Testament, there's a lot of texts that give us these different windows In the Great Commission, we're told to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' baptism, the Father speaks from heaven. Jesus is baptized, and the Spirit descends like a dove. And we can go on and on. 
there are many places in the Bible where it very clearly says God is one, and there are many places in the Bible where it just as clearly says there is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we don't talk about the Trinity because it's something we made up or because it's a nice idea. We believe in the Trinity because that's what God himself has told us. So let's turn then to one particular passage, to John 14. And now I want to switch from talking about how are we able to talk about the Trinity to thinking about how does belief in the Trinity matter? Why does it matter that we believe in God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit instead of just God as one single essence, one single person? I'm going to talk about three things from this passage that show us how belief in the Trinity matters. First, God has revealed himself to us. Second, God dwells above and with us. And finally, God dwells within us. So first, because we believe in the Trinity, we can believe that God really has made himself known to us. Because we believe in the Trinity, we can believe that God has truly revealed himself to us. We see this most clearly in the person and work of Jesus. If we read John 14, we see Jesus telling his followers that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And he says that no one has come to the Father except through him. And then in a couple different ways, Jesus says, If you have seen me, you have seen God the Father. If you have seen Jesus, you have seen God. And Jesus says some of that, and then Philip asks him, well, please, show us the Father, and that will be enough. And Jesus says again, if you have seen me, you have truly seen the Father. There is no other religion that can really give us that picture of really, really seeing God like Christianity does. Islam gives all kinds of messengers and messages from God but you never really get to see God himself. Buddhism and Hinduism and a lot of the Eastern religions give you a lot of gods and goddesses and find God within yourself, but there's not really anything you can look to and say that, that right there is what God is like. But in the Christian faith, because Jesus became human, because we have the stories of Jesus divinely inspired in the scriptures, we can claim to have really seen God. Because Jesus became human and walked among us, God is not just some cosmic power up in heaven. He's not just some unapproachable deity up at the peak of the universe. God is someone who we have seen in the flesh. And because Jesus took on flesh and walked among us, we can have confidence that we've seen what God is really like. In some ways, God is a mystery. He's beyond us. He's more than our minds can comprehend. But yet God has revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus. And this can be a great encouragement to our faith. The revelation of our triune God in Jesus Christ gives us assurance. It's a picture that we can put our faith in. Jesus tells us he himself is the way, the truth, and the life He tells us that we get to the Father through him. So when we approach God, we can know who we're approaching because we have seen God in the life, the work, 
and the person of Jesus. So God is truly revealed to us in a way that is not in any other religion. And second, God reveals himself as a God who is both above us and with us. God is both above us and with us. God is both transcendent and eminent, if you want to use the big words. God is transcendent. He's way up there. He is more than us. But God is also eminent. God is with us. Some religions have a God that's so high up in the sky that you can't really, really have any kind of connection with him. You can think of Islam, for example, and there's some sense of relationship, but really God is way, way, way up there, and you can't really get there. And then if you think of more the Eastern religions, some of the New Age stuff, God is kind of everywhere and kind of inside you and kind of wherever you want to find him. But there's no sense that God is more than what you find within yourself. There's no sense that God is actually anything more than fuzzy thinking and nice feelings. A lot of religions have either a God who's way up there or a God who's so vague that there's no meaning to that concept. But the God of Christianity is a God who lives in heaven, the creator of the universe, the one who holds all things together, the one who is more than you and more than me and more than all of us, but also a God who comes down to us, a God who made us in his image, a God who took on our human nature, lived with us, suffered for us, died for us. A God who forms all of creation. A God who comes down and lives with us. Almighty God is a God beyond our reach, but he's also a God who's come down and brought us up to be with him. And one of the ways that we see this worked out is in our pattern of worship. Christian worship, I know sometimes it doesn't feel like it, but Christian worship is different than any other religion can possibly have. In Christian worship, God calls us. The king of the universe, the ruler of all things, the one who could call anybody and anything before his throne at any time. That God calls us graciously into his presence every time we gather in worship. We are called to worship the God above us, and he calls us here. But then we don't come to God alone. By ourselves, we could not stand in God's presence. We would be incinerated by his glory. We would be blown away by his power. But when we come to God, Jesus Christ, the mediator, goes before us. Christ, the second person of the Trinity, God himself opens the way for us to stand before God. Christ delivers us from our sinfulness. Christ teaches us what God is like so we can stand before him. So in worship, God above calls us, God the Son enables us to stand before God, and finally, God himself works within us to lead us to worship. When we feel led to worship, that's the Holy Spirit at work in our hearts. When we don't know what to pray, when we don't know how to be with God, when our hearts are dark and hard, the Holy Spirit works in us and draws us to God. On our own, we would never, ever come to God. So every time we gather to worship, we can think, we can see, 
each person of the Trinity at work. We see God the Father graciously calling us to come to Him. We see God the Son being our mediator, being the one who leads us into God's presence. And we can feel God the Holy Spirit working in us and pulling us into God's presence yet again. Our worship is Trinitarian worship, and so it is the only true worship possible in this world. Third and finally, God dwells within us. God doesn't just work with us when we come to worship. The Bible tells us that God's Spirit dwells in believers all the time. If Jesus had just come and then gone back up to heaven, we wouldn't really be able to follow or understand God now. And so Jesus didn't leave us without a helper, without a counselor, without someone to lead us in truth. In John 14, 16, Jesus promises that he and the Father will send another counselor, the Spirit of truth. The world can't see Jesus, the world can't see God, but we who believe, we who have the Spirit within us, because God lives in us, we can see God. The Spirit lives with us, the Spirit lives within us. And this isn't some vague force, some Star Wars thing, some vague, I have the power. In our culture, there's this thing that resonates with a lot of people, having this sort of cosmic force that you can tap into that gets you connected to the universe and gives you meaning and lets you do things. But that is not what the Holy Spirit coming to live in us is really like. That idea of the force, this cosmic power you can plug into, is like what buying a dishwasher is like compared to the Holy Spirit coming is like us getting married. Tapping into a cosmic power, tapping into the force is like plugging in a new fridge or a washing machine or a dishwasher. Pick your favorite appliance. It's something that makes your life easier. It gives you a certain convenience, but that's not a thing that cares about you at all. It makes no real ultimate difference in who you are. It's something if you unplugged it and walked away, it wouldn't care. That's not what the Holy Spirit is like. The Holy Spirit is a person who comes and moves into our life. In the Holy Spirit, God comes and he chooses to live with you. If you believe in God, you believe because the Holy Spirit has come and chosen to live in you. You are a person who God has chosen to dwell within. Even you, you are the temple, you are the tabernacle of God himself. God wants to live with us so closely that he has moved into each of us. He doesn't just tell us what to do, he doesn't just help us on the way, he moves into our lives and wants a relationship with us that lasts forever. We are going to belong to God forever, we are going to be with God forever And in some way that we maybe can't understand right now, God is drawing us up even into that Trinitarian relationship. We will never, ever be God, but God is going to make us more and more like him, and God is going to draw us always into closer and closer fellowship with him. And that means something for our fellowship right here and right now. 
If you believe in God, if you believe in Jesus, if the Spirit is living in you, then you're going to live together with other believers forever. The people seated, sit, sitting right around you are people you will spend eternity in fellowship with. So what kind of fellowship are we pursuing with each other? Are we pursuing a fellowship that is continually giving and receiving? Are we laying our lives down for our brothers and sisters in Christ? Are we living in a way that models the relationship that we see God having in the Trinity? Jesus gives us this model of fellowship that we can't totally understand. It's beyond us. But he also tells us that God is pulling us up into this new kind of life. And so today... Are we living out that new kind of life? Do we really belong to each other? Are we together no matter what as believers? Or are you kind of doing your own thing? Are you really engaged with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Or are you kind of keeping everyone at arm's length? Kind of doing your own thing, except when it's convenient to be around other believers. Our Trinitarian God dwells within us and gives us this picture of total complete, eternal fellowship. And Jesus says that our relationships with him and by extension our relationships with each other need to reflect, need to become more and more like that fellowship. So in your life, do you see the love of God coming more more and more into being? Do you see ways that you can love your neighbor, that you can love your brother, your sister in Christ more? How can we more and more live in true fellowship with each other? So the scriptures give us this vision of the Trinity, of one God existing in three persons eternally, of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and this is a mystery that we'll keep learning more about forever. But even if we don't understand everything right now, God's word gives us this clear picture of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living in eternal fellowship, drawing us more and more into eternal life. In Jesus, we have truly seen God. In the Holy Spirit, God dwells within us and pulls us more and more up into his fellowship. In eternity, we will truly belong to God. What greater hope could we have?